And the answer was really nice. A language is a dialect with a gun in hand. And although the conversation had a political and a historical bend, I was super fascinated with that. And my general curiosity about understanding language uh, has been like been there. And for that, today I have uh, Jayashri Joshi with us on audio gan. Uh, Jayashri studied German at JNU in New Delhi and also taught German after receiving her MA. Uh, she has been working at Gothe Institute. Uh, since 1996 uh, was a program officer for 20 years and since 2016 has been the director of the institute's library in mumbai in addition to indian languages uh, like marathi hindi sanskrit she is fluent in english and german uh, she has translated german poems and plays into hindi marathi english uh, she also writes poetry in marathi which is like regularly published she has translated plays poems short stories novels and children's and youth literature from english and german into hindi and marathi so with such huge body of work i'm like really scared to ask her any question but i'm just going to try and and pique my curiosity with few questions uh, so welcome jayashree ma'am it's a, it's a real honor to have you on audio gang thank you abhari ahe herslishan dank it's 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 is really uh, not so overwhelming you know there are people who have done much more than what i have done uh, and uh, i was just blessed to have an opportunity to learn so many languages and connect with the literature of so many languages and connect with the right people who could guide me through the process of of relaying that material into various languages where i have different uh, levels of proficiency i feel so it's it's really uh, humbling uh, the way you have introduced me i just want to uh, say that um, i'm not director of uh, information and uh, uh, library services at goethe institute it's called head head because oh, oh. a director yeah yeah so there there are different terminologies but the, the, in the in the sense i head that particular section of maximila bhavan or goethe institute yeah okay okay yeah 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 i've i've come up with few questions uh, mainly around uh, translation and and language in general and sure. uh, yeah it it will be like just uh, great to hear your insights about it and please feel free to maneuver the conversation in wherever i am falling short of even asking the right questions so <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh, i mean uh, this is not going to be a scholarly presentation i am not going to talk so much about translation theory and uh, there are uh, uh, various uh, propositions and uh, you know essays written critical essays etc so we are not going into into uh, that area i feel we, we are just yes. going to have a chit chat about what is language what is i mean like like for everyone to to Correct. connect with with the concept right yes absolutely yeah absolutely. yeah okay so that is a disclaimer a big disclaimer thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> correct yeah so uh, yes yes like what what does uh, translation mean to you and and this has been my, my pattern now which i've been asking every guest that what is uh, xyz and then how that definition has changed over time so in your case i'll i'll there's lot of things to be asked but we'll start with translation and uh, uh, how is it placed like is it a, is it a skill is it an art is it a craft if or any other uh, uh, taxonomies around it <laughs> my god i mean uh, this is uh, you know um, right at the at the at the onset this is you have, you have opened up uh, a plethora i mean this has at least 1000 questions uh, you know incorporated in these three points that you mentioned so if you look up the word translation in in uh, uh, in the internet thesaurus you have 34 words for translation to to explain the term or which can be used as synonyms and for me because i have been associated with translation 
and literary we are talk, talking about literary translations because because legal and commercial and technical translation is uh, really uh, some some uh, area that i have uh, dealt with in the last century if i may say so so i am going to primarily speak about my understanding of the concept called literary translation so when you look at uh, again coming back to these 34 words for me translation is a sum total of some of these concepts like it could be an adaptation plus explanation plus reading and rereading then rendering then trans uh, trans creation as some people may call it then it is a reconstruction it is also a kind of decoding that is required then it is paraphrasing rephrasing restatement sometimes metaphrase so you know all these words are mentioned in the uh, context of the concept of uh, in the concept of translation and uh, a translator has to go through most of these processes in order to render an acceptable translation of any given uh, piece of literature it could be uh, a novel it could be uh, uh, a story it could be poetry it could be theater translation it could be an essay it could be travelog so there are various genre of literature which a translator wants to translate the translator has to first decide about the translatability of that particular piece that he chooses he or she chooses to translate now uh, uh, for simplicity i am going to say she or he all the time so it will be interchangeable uh, mm -hmm. for for translator yeah i mean uh, you have to keep that protocol in mind but still yeah so uh, i think translation is again as i said it, it's a, it's a mixed experience because uh, you cannot uh, put it in a framework and say this is the science of translation or this is Uh, how the artistic skill can be developed for translation of course there is a methodology that you should follow and there are various approaches but then you enter the uh, arena of theory and uh, my experience tells me that every genre has a, a different kind of approach to the text the access to the text how you uh, because you know you have to first understand the text read it reread it paraphrase it for yourself understand the nuances understands the understand the the high points uh, the dominant points uh, of that particular uh, artwork let's say now see i'm saying artwork it itself says that every literary piece that you pick up for translation has a scientific a scientific methodology behind it because you have to define for yourself a method and then approach the uh, activity of translation but it has its own aesthetic norms that you cannot overlook so it's it's i'm not saying it's 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 a confluence of science and art no it is it is that that in between path you know there is a certain aesthetics there is a kind of artistic element but that is something that you have to create as a translator where you become a transculturator this is a, a wonderful term that i have learned in uh, recent times transculturating i don't even uh, I, i yeah i think it was a, 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 about a chinese a chinese scholar and he is talking about uh, translator as a transculturator and i i simply loved it because when you are translating something you are uh, going from the source language to target language everyone knows that it has been done to i mean one has uh, chewed upon this concept so i'm not going to elaborate upon that that you carry the socio cultural re realities in, and try to try, uh, transplant them into another culture whereby you also have to think about the uh, the typical uh, uh, form of expressions in that particular language where you are planting the foreign work by the means of translation so my uh, uh, my idea of translation is this that you are actually relaying the meaning 
and uh, uh, by relaying i am not saying that uh, it's a kind of uh, assembly line it's it's apart from transforming the text uh, you are also there, there are processes involved of cognition discourse and uh, there's an action by which uh, between human and textual actors you know in the physical and social setting so um, yeah that is a translation for me and what was your second question hey has this uh, definition changed uh, i mean because it like i'm i'm in that phase of my life where there are certain things which you take as hypothesis and then you enter the antithesis of it where you are questioning everything and then maybe like fortunately if you land up in like synthesis it's great so so my my uh, direction of asking this question is always that because you have certain definitions when you start a career or when you start exploring that that uh, domain altogether and then as as you go uh, nuanced into the subject things change right so uh, so has it changed yeah but so the concept you know if you look at translation as a whole obviously i as a person i have evolved i if i may say so uh, i think there is a certain uh, progress in in my understanding of the world and of the realities various the, the you know some total of realities around me so obviously my pattern of responding to the reality has also changed because of my personal uh, chronological growth you know so that enhancement of knowledge or accumulated facts let's say and my interpretation of it that is what i i called epistemologically uh, knowledge and uh, uh, yeah so my capability or uh, of, of translating something has certainly uh, it has it has uh, increased i feel uh, i i mean um, qualitatively and also if you are talking about how translation has changed uh, in the last uh, so many years that i am uh, i am engaged with this activity obviously um, it, a new era of translation has begun I and mean, way back when i uh, translator or translation was not a very uh, really uh, uh, huge uh, what is usually respected uh, profession it was always secondary you know Correct. and uh, literary translation forget about it i mean uh, there there was there was no as i said uh, of course if you are talking about susan bassett uh, etc i mean who have written or homes who have written theories of translation and wonderful wonderful books but how much literature do i have back home in which language where do we talk about how to translate how to you know how much serious thought is given to this idea of translation it it is a huge responsibility you know because you are you as a translator you are borrowing someone else's thoughts um, i think uh, in in uh, ancient uh, philosophy a translator is is uh, compared to midwife Mm-hmm. actually wow. yeah wow. so mm-hmm. uh, and my objection always was no midwife doesn't go through the labor pain a midwife helps in giving birth to that new entity but a translator is cre- co-creating that entity at times and if the translator himself is a uh, uh, an author or a poet then obviously uh, as ranjit hoskote the the renowned translator calls, uh, calls it it is cross pollination so you know there is a kind of uh, hidden inspiration because you, you are uh, when you are translating another another uh, a script from another language then the images then the, then the images and words and adjectives and semantics everything from that language is trans, it's it's heavy it's bulky you have to transport it to your language and then you have to alter it because finally you are doing it for a reader and you have to always look at the the um, i i i'll uh, see in marathi we call it lasavi the least least common denominator so you have to look at that and then translate i'm not say i'm not not all but right now uh, maybe i'm talking about uh, uh, literature that is read by all if you obviously if you are talking about derrida or spivak or, uh, or you know some such uh, um, heavy stuff then obviously you have to uh, use a particular register uh, 
or for 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 translation of karl marx or hegel then obviously you cannot uh, skirt that issue you have to have your register in place then the common reader has to make that effort and also you know uh, inform himself about what he is going to read if required he also has to do some kind of homework or sped work so that is translation and that understanding has dawned upon the the reader in in uh, india now when i say india i am only talking about a, a few languages that i connect with but i think more or less we we uh, we have arrived uh, now as readers and since we have arrived as readers and we understand what is a good translation or bad translation the translator's responsibility and uh, accountability and uh, uh, status has also grown they have also grown so what i would like to say is the the new era of translation has already begun i mean uh, uh, when did the real translation start in india from 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 foreign languages it started with colonialism right so chiefly we translated from western english the, the western literature english and only after globalization i mean um, i am reminded of uh, johann wolfgang von goethe the german um, author here so goethe institute uh, <laughs> is named after this uh, author so he 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 had uh, um, uh, uh, propagated an idea of welt literatur which means world literature so it is not a ready made uh, cosmopolitanism for universal consumption as it is projected today so it is an Uh, embrace of diversity approach through the artisanal practice of translation and dialogue so world literature he he used this uh, uh, term in uh, he he stated it in letters to johann ackermann as uh, back in uh, you know back in the uh, if you go back in the time 1827 he already knew what he was talking about what we are witnessing today so this is uh, he refers to the dissemination of literature from and to countries across the globe so what he said then national literature is now a rather unmeaning term the epoch of world literature is at hand and everyone must strive to hasten its approach so that that is that is a, a message that is applicable even today yeah so that is uh, uh, the, the uh, you know uh, today if you see most of uh, uh, the translated literature uh, is uh, uh, fiction poetry a little bit of theater plays which we are also trying to do from i mean getting plays from germany into various indian languages etc but a lot of non fiction is also being uh, translated and uh, i was told by a renowned publisher that uh, the the readership is growing for non fiction that is for theory for uh, political analysis uh, at the global level which is which is a welcoming change because because of this availability of translated works into um, regional languages regional indian languages local languages uh, some people call it vernacular but i strongly protest that uh, uh, term that's why i always call it a lo local language or regional language so uh, uh, translation has not only uh, uh, grown in its uh, recognition but it has also uh, what is a uh, german word for that is entfaltung <laughs> i'm i'm trying to get the right word for that so Uh, uh, uh there is an uh, enhancement at various levels uh, of the uh, uh, area of work or scope of work of translation um does that make sense to you <laughs> as an answer to your question in fact uh, that's put many more questions around it but i'll take one by one so uh, you mentioned uh, about it being like a uh somewhere between art and science right and so now so now is this the case with literally work uh only uh, specifically or it happens with uh, like laws and other stuff which is also translated across uh, geographies uh, across geographies that's a wonderful term that you have used because across geographies uh we are talking about Uh, uh cultural sciences and geography is only a small part of it which which gives it uh, uh, an orientation by so uh, the legal framework the science uh, medical uh, texts uh, or commercial uh, contracts etc they have a set uh, uh, phrase uh, you know set of uh, um, uh, uh, phrases set of uh, 
how, how they use the words, how they form the sentences. It's um, like as is, where is. And if you look at its Marathi translation, you understand the, the, the as is, where is better than what is translated into Marathi. So because it is very Sanskritized Marathi, I'm sure you are going to come to Praman Bhasha after that. But <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm not uh, going in that direction. But again, uh, I am saying that it's, it's, I, I'm not trying to say that it's easier to do legal, legal translation. It's a different uh, ball game altogether. Legal commercial, you know, you, you, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what my methodology was before all these softwares came into being uh, for, for uh, technical translation. I used to read the, I mean, I had translated uh, uh, some, some um, uh, specifications for Mercedes, uh, uh, how they, they prepared the glass for the window uh, shield, whatever it is called, no? the, the, the pane. And then uh, they had that drop ball test. So I read all that. Then whatever words I did not know and they were recurring. So I, I wrote it down by hand so that I could replace it because back then I only had a typewriter, right? So what I'm saying is the recurring word will still mean the same in the technical. Uh, of, yeah, it's sort of primitive Google Translate. Like you just Google Translate gives you a working translation, and obviously, even in technical and commercial, uh, uh, all such translations, a final uh, translation uh, should be uh, rendered or editing should be done by a human translator. That is what I feel because you have to be, you know, there is there is a certain sanctity. You can't just many engineers used to tell me, you just give us this uh, uh, working translation. Now, just take the word Scheibe. Scheibe is one word, German word which can mean disk. disk or plate, depending on the context. And it's a technical translation. It has got nothing to do with, with uh, you know, various meanings and multiple layers of meaning, etc. It's just one plain word, but it means differently uh, in, in a given context. So that is what uh, Google will not give you. And that is where you need the human translator. Just an example. Yeah, and then again, uh, what you, you spoke about, uh, about um, the, the science and the, uh, the, no, so and I think, the yeah, I think I got the drift. It's mainly uh, when it comes to literally work, literally, literary work, it, it is more about uh, understanding a lot more nuances than the commercial hygiene type stuff. Is that uh, a, a fair understanding? Yeah. And then uh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not comparing uh, difficult or uh, easy to translate kind of a thing, but generally. Uh, yeah, because. How, how, uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I understand and, and thank you for that because you know that uh, concept of translatability of text, we make our lives uh, much simpler. I mean, why a poet somewhere uh, sitting in the same world on the same earth and uh, you know, uh, re responding to uh, a similar reality that is created by human beings, he is responding to that reality. Why is it so difficult for me to, to absorb it and tell my readers about his reality. I mean, I, why should I use the criterion of translatability? And uh, Manglesh Dabralji had once mentioned uh, that only bad poems can be translated beautifully. <laughs> that was, there was a lot of argument, go, I mean, arguments and counter arguments. But that just shows that translation is taken seriously. And I just want to uh, mention this um, uh, one, one word by Valerie um, Henishok. Uh, she is uh, uh, she is a professor of literature and translation. So that's a compelling essay she has written where she says. Text becomes successfully worlded, you know, the, the noun world and worlded only through interpretative acts, um, interpretive acts of mediation profoundly bound up in aspects of culture. So as uh, literature moves across boundaries of culture and language, uh, uh, a text can never be uh, independent of its translation. That is what she's, uh, she's trying to say. But I mean, obviously, uh, when it moves across the boundaries of culture and language, it is transformed into a unique cultural artifact. That is, that is her uh, thesis. We don't have to uh, discuss uh, that right now. But then <coughs> Gayatri Shpivak, you must have heard that name as well. So she uh, um, holds uh, the alternate uh, view that the study of world literature often ignores the power of work in its own language. So she believes that uh, we should not uh, homogenize cultures and languages. 
uh, when we undertake the study of translated texts. So that is uh, uh, an interesting uh, thought. And if uh, anyone is interested, uh, they should uh, um, try to see how we can protect the diversity of languages and cultures uh, that are present in the literary works while translating it. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Actually, I mean, sorry, sorry, I'll interrupt yeah. you because yeah, um, yeah. I have like one question around it. And uh, since you mentioned about these two arguments also, and these itself have to be like, manab, what detail may, like you have to study otherwise. It's, ha, uh, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was listening to one podcast many years ago mm-hmm. in which uh, uh, the person was saying that there are like, and, and there was, I don't remember the name, but uh, she was saying that there are certain concepts which are uh, inherently Western, right? So for she took an she took an example of like please give me my space. Whereas whereas in India, uh, because of the social fabric, there isn't like a real space space such right, uh, which which is uh, now getting acknowledged, but uh, initially it wasn't. So how do you translate that? So the bigger question which uh, wanted to ask you was that then how do you retain like the the original author's sense and spirit? Um, I mean, like a space, there's a concept. If it's not there, then how how would you arrive at that? But you know, it's, it's or... an, you, you don't have to translate the word, give me my, or the sentence, give me my space, literally. What does he mean? He means, let me be alone for some time. Let me, I, I, I need some quiet. I need some uh, uh, some time to myself. You know, you that is where I say that you reread it, rephrase it. You are not losing its spirit, and that, that's that's the word that you have used. You are not losing the spirit by creating another concept that relates to I need my space. When in Marathi you say tila zarave ekta basude, that is. I need my space. And that 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 form of expression is there. In Hindi, you say that, right? So these this concept is very much there. Only it is expressed differently. So it is absolutely uh, the translator's uh, uh, prerogative to decide whether whether he wants to go that way or he wants to give a clumsy translate uh, translation, verbatim translation of this space. Hmm? You can't say that, you know, you can say that, but it sounds so foreign. And uh, if you want to retain that flavor of foreignness in your translation, go ahead with it. Because the data, you know, translation doesn't have a method because uh, again, uh, there could be uh, uh, various approaches. There could be a literal translation. There could be uh, a single dominant translation. That is, if the uh, rhythm is dominant in that particular poem, then you focus on that and literally defocus from the rest of the material that is produced in that poem. I'm just taking poem because this is the uh, easiest that comes to my mind right now. I'll, I'll give you an interesting example now for this. Um, the integration of form and meaning in literary works. That's what we are talking about right now. So um, there is a Portuguese poem by Cassiano Ricardo. It is uh, entitled um, Serenata uh, Synthetica. And just uh, look at the sound of that, yeah, because that is also very important when we are you are translating a poem. It's not only the words; it's not only the uh, the uh, uh, what do you say the the format, the phonetics. Yeah, not only the the, the format. I, I was looking for that word. Yeah, the format, but also phonetics. Uh, uh, and just just look at phonetics or rhythm. Now uh, this poem goes like this: Rua torta, lua morta, tua porta. Short poem, Rua Torta, Lua Morta, Tua Porta. So this refers to a small town, uh, a town, a small, very small town with winding streets, that is Rua Torta, winding streets, a fading moon, Lua Morta, and the hint of an enormous affair, that is your door. So uh, Tua Porta. You know these words, somewhere you have heard this, in Portuguese, it is so nice. Just uh, 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 winding streets, valna valna cha vata, fading moon, mawalta chandra, tuzadar. That's all, you know. So, but I'm not written. I could not written that rhythm. And in English, it's 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 really. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there is absolutely 
nothing left of that rhythm and that that precise you know that, that there is there are six words and it gives you it opens a huge canvas in front of you but when you say winding streets fading moon your door okay i accept it but that rhythm is lost the real fun is lost yeah so that is where you have to make compromises but still in english it creates another poem right it's not the same poem because it has lost its rhythm but it's still uh, maintaining the 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 principle of uh, six words maybe i don't know whether you can say only yeah you can say fading moon so yeah so yeah, yeah i mean the the kind of um... things you are saying i have to like listen to this couple of times more to understand and then connect yeah, the dots yeah, yeah. in my yeah see yeah. right now i am only you know jaise bolte hain na ki beej dal rakhe hain so who sir yeah. wants to read more or understand more uh, yeah. the the world is open you know world of literature and uh, uh, criticism of course mm-hmm. yeah sure, yeah sure. so i'll i'll uh, take like two uh, slightly Uh, a different track here and i wanted to understand like the legendary uh, hindi critic namwar singh uh, comment commented on like the hindi language uh, and its journey in the 20th century so uh, is there any equivalent in in um, about grammar or aesthetics of poetry in marathi yeah, the entire 20th century yeah i mean mm. any any time frame you can pick because i am like not like a very literally experts i've just tried to connect the dots see there there are uh, then there is a lot of uh, work uh, in the field of uh, uh, history let's say yeah history of of marathi literature or history of poetry so i don't really know i mean namwar singh ji <laughs> i mean what can i say uh, you know to to augment his uh, his uh, uh, statement so i am right now not a to uh, link my statement with manamar singh's statement because i am also not uh, an authority to speak about hindi poetry i have only read it in bits and pieces so it's complete develop in the uh, development in the 20th century that uh, uh, that is really a huge huge uh, field for me so if you are talking about marathi poetry then obviously there are certain things that i would uh, like to mention uh, that uh, uh, as you know Uh, with bengali literature marathi literature is also oldest of the indo aryan literatures no and um, in the 13th century uh, there were two brahmanical sects like mahanubhava and varkari panth that's what they are called and they shaped marathi literature significantly so uh, the latter was more productive and it had uh, its association with bhakti movement and, and then the, there was a certain form of uh, 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 formal understanding of, of, of lyrics and it was also connected with the popular cult of vithoba at pandharpur you know so um, uh, you have these names like um, uh, uh, i think viveka sindhu was written by mukundaraj and uh, nyaneshwara uh, wrote uh, nyaneshwari as you know and nyaneshwar and namdev they actually uh, he was his younger contemporary so the devotional songs are included in in the book of six namdev has written the, these songs and uh, they are um, um, in in the adigranth part of adigranth and then you have the 16th century i'm giving you an overview then you have uh, these are the milestones like right? uh, you know and uh, so then you have eknath so um, uh, so his bhagavat puran you must have heard these names from your grandmother or so yeah so this is this is the complete bhakti poetry and then of course you have uh, the voices of descent from tukaram i mean the the uh, earliest uh, uh, poetry of resistance in in marathi literature i can call it you know so um, and then you have the shahiri pawadas sambhaji bhagat is taking forward this tradition with many uh, uh, others uh, capable um, uh, singers and writers so these uh, pawadas are heroic stories so they were they are very popular among marathi people and this was during chhatrapati shivaji maharaj time the great maratha king and he led his armies against the might of mogul uh, emperors and that's when the pawadas were uh, used to to Uh, uh, tell uh, to tell the heroic stories, and then uh, for the martial people, I mean, and uh, then uh, the real modern period. If you are talking about that, that uh, began with Keshav Sukh, uh, Krishna Ji Keshav Damle. 
so he his poetry was influenced influenced not inspired <laughs> influenced by the 19th century british romanticism and uh, liberalism the european nationalism uh, and obviously the greatness of uh, maharashtrian uh, history so he declared a revolt against the against the traditional uh, marathi poetry and started a school um, of poetry which emphasized home and nature and the glorious past and pure lyricism also but after that there was there was a, um, a group of poets called ravikiran mandal uh, so they uh, proclaimed that uh, poetry was not only for the erudite and uh, sensor, sensitive uh, i mean it should not only have those elements but it is a part of everyday life so uh, that is how um, uh, and then after 1945 uh, marathi poetry sought to explore uh, human life in all it, uh, in, in all its variety subjective and personal colloquial use use of colloquial language that also uh, uh, is is an important milestone then uh, you have uh, both directions uh, of thought or schools of thought art for art sake and art for life sake in in marathi literature as uh, in most of the literature of those times so this renaissance uh, uh, see marathi language nobody uh, i mean th there are two theories i think that either uh, it is from, it it, it uh, followed from sanskrit or is it it is uh, uh, it, it um, came from saurasaini or prakrit or maharashtri or and then there are so many i think around 2500 farsi uh, uh, and arabian words in it urdu words uh, then you have um, uh, at least so many dialects <laughs> in marathi like you have konkani you have ahirani you have gomantaki boli i mean konkani and gomantaki is again different then you have tanjavar marathi that's a, the, the kind of marathi that's spoken in tanjavar then this karnataki style of marathi within maharashtra you have vaidarbi you have ahirani you have um, khandeshi is not exactly uh, I, I, varadi you have and uh, then you have the so called praman bhasha uh, the, it used to be Huh? it used to be praman bhasha because that is what one used for uh, writing in the books and uh, that was spoken uh, to us so th for the general discourse uh, an official uh, philological or philosophical discourse or uh, literary discourse this particular language was the form of language was used which is which was called praman bhasha then but now as you are asking me about how the marathi literature has progressed i think the biggest achievement is that all dialects all uh, i mean uh, there could be many more i can uh, uh, count at least 25 but uh, uh, due to paucity of time i'm not going into it so uh, the the biggest achievement for me is that everybody who has something to narrate something to tell need not shy away from expression because he or she does not master the praman bhasha they can or all of us can express uh, express ourselves in the language or the dialect or the form of language that is suitable to us we can pick and choose the topics there is no uh, uh, no topic that we cannot touch with any form of language in marathi literary scene right now of course there, there will be uh, there, there is there is there are self proclaimed uh, guardians of propriety who will raise their voice and say no 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 you cannot write this that is a different story but what i am saying is a uh, boli bhasha a dialect has found its inroads in the mainstream of marathi literature and uh, you you are talking about uh, you, you can read um, uh, the the voices of dissent voices of resistance vidrohi literature uh, i refer to call it uh, dalit literature of course there is there is an account of uh, 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 the the ordeal of uh, called dalit life and it was very important Uh, to awaken marathi literature from that deep slumber of uh, soft mushy and romanticized ideas of literature and show them the mirror and uh, show the readership and writers a mirror and uh, that hard hitting uh, layer of reality that was done by vidrohi uh, sahitya or uh, dalit sahitya they use it interchangeably they one should use it interchangeably also and that uh, was uh, the the new manu as they call it in marathi the, the new wave uh, for me so in navadottari uh, there are um, 
I mean, there are uh, multiple analysis in Satyotari Kavita, Navodotari Kavita, and now the, the the poetry in 21st century. And uh, if we are talking about uh, literature, then obviously uh, what we generally don't talk about is drama or theater. So there we are uh, terribly lacking because <laughs> because. Uh, uh i'm trying to follow new writing in my language and uh, in in the field of theater as well and i feel there is there is uh, a lot i mean there, there is a huge gap and we have to uh, i mean we, we have to translate borrow adapt get inspired but create good theater uh, by means of translation trans, uh, or, or uh, rephrasing or whatever whatever we discuss so but i i uh, must say that what started in in marathi literature long ago what i spoke about like the the santa panta and pandit kavya as they call it um, you know so that is the brahmanical tradition also partly but or uh, then then again a uh, little bit of resistance so that was the spiritual democracy that prevailed then and now hopefully it will get reinstated and uh, yeah so i why, i still, why do you why do you think so like as in like in which context it will be reinstated uh, that uh, everybody gets a voice to tell his story because every life is a story and in the in the way he or she wants uh, you know there, there there is there is a style of uh, uh, free verse which is which is niryamak it's not muktachan niryamak but there is an inherent uh, rhythm to to that text so um, that is the form then form and language as i said anybody can i mean you can write uh, something in varadi something in khandeshi something and, and you still find a reader and the reader that doesn't who, who doesn't understand it will make an effort to understand it so that is uh, some uh, some revolution that is right now it in budding but i i'm very uh, hopeful and positive about it that it will change the face of marathi literature yeah correct correct maybe philosophically it is uh, very new and that's why people are first uh, accepting to understand and then maybe criticizing so the cycle will continue but it will yeah. be like a longer run and probably this is the start yeah so that there is the acceptance yeah there is uh, uh, only that uh, there is an imminent danger that i see that you know a certain group of people will uh, promote a certain kind of literature which should not happen uh, so it, a literature uh, uh, is not uh, should not have an agenda uh, it, ha- it has to have that kind of universality and if it doesn't have it within your own state what are we talking about then you know so uh, yeah i mean we i uh, often hear that um, marathi literature does not get international recognition because it is not translated into english okay fine but how are you so sure that uh, it it still has that that kind of that vaishvik or universal element that it should reach to the entire world through english translation i mean i have seen people translating uh, from languages that are they, they don't even speak that language but they pick up the book sit with the author and uh, translate it uh, into english fair enough and uh, uh, legitimate uh, justification that nobody else is doing it so i'll do it so uh, even that is one step forward i'm not talking about how good or bad that translation because nobody can really say that as long as you are giving the message again you know they i i don't even think we have we have advanced uh, um, you know that kind of advanced level in trans- criticism of translation it's all borrowed you know it's all borrowed and uh, so and again english is an associate language for us so it's not our mother tongue so uh, well um, I, I, what i wanted to mention to you about it now that we are speaking about translation so um, uh, long long ago i think in the um, uh, 18th century or 19th i'm forgetting but hari keshav ji had uh, translated some uh, parts of paradise lost which is paradise lost then mahadev shastri kolatkar had translated scott langfellow longfellow wordsworth i mean he, he he i don't know whether he translated it or he sort of recreated it but let's say translated then um, uh, there is another interesting thing bajaba ramchandra pradhan he uh, wrote 
a um, uh, and uh, epos it's uh, divaseni uh, sort of um, uh, uh, what do you call it khandakavi i don't know the right word for uh, khandakavi i think it is an epic but no khandakavi that is mahakavi okay yeah, <laughs> we'll get I'm, come I'm, back I'm to I'm that totally yeah. clueless yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, uh, sir walter scott's lady of the lake so his divaseni this khandakavi was based on that so uh, there is a translation and also his his uh, his adaptation of of lady of the lake and mahadev uh, moreshwar kunte that is this is the last thing that i have to uh, mention um, so he had written uh, raja shivaji in um, uh, that is his that is his uh, poetic work but he had written a wonderful uh, foreword to it in english and that's i recommend that everyone should read it who wants to do something with marathi and english translations it's it's, it's a wonderful uh, yeah and then there are of course very uh, very efforts of uh, translating william uh, uh, blake and wordsworth and coleridge and byron and shelley and etc so what are, uh, my first statement was that colonialism introduced us to the idea of translation and now you have translations thanks to social media i mean anybody picks up any poem from anywhere and it's english translation and translates it so uh, their the seriousness of poetry translation has really uh, it, it's uh, come under a question mark but at least people are reading it people are getting introduced even the bad translation is a translation and effort has gone into it so why not correct correct yeah i mean yeah. you have to and and before you can understand what is good you need to understand like you have to go through the bad yeah again you are coming back <laughs> to your thesis and antithesis i can understand <laughs> yeah and yeah. Uh, ma'am you you mentioned about um, the two uh, two positions or two uh, uh, schools right i believe uh, like ashok shahane uh, uh, said like all languages born out of verses and song so is there any is there any uh, correlation there uh, any insights there or like how would you respond to that uh, then ah i uh, i mean ashok ji again you are you know you are taking such uh, names of such erudite people who whose life is literature <laughs> but yeah okay uh, so uh, all languages originate out of verses uh, because verses are good to remember they have a uh, you know they have a rhythm a rhyme and uh, it's easier to remember and uh, that is what our oral history also says all along yeah uh, in oral history of course vedas uh, if you go back to sanskrit that these are these upanishads that is shruti and smriti so uh, obviously there is something that is heard and retained in memory Uh, and uh, as we say the oral history also has lot and a lot of material uh, also also in marathi language uh, the ov and abhanga so ov was uh, these are those couplets that uh, women used to sing and uh, the, the topic of those ovs uh, uh, were uh, obviously their home front and uh, relations and and the nature and they used to you know use uh, the the simile of some natural phenomenon uh, and say uh, like my relation with my husband should grow like the banyan tree some you know sort of uh, such such uh, metaphorical yeah, yeah 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 and also a lot of mythology and uh, 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 mythology and and uh, stories from uh, hero uh, stories of heroes used there uh, i mean when i say heroes it could be sita it could be draupadi it could be mandodari ahalya because the, the women can can uh, actually relate to women women figures in mythology because they understand their pain their agony and uh, their their, their um, uh, uh, position in the the uh, patriarchal system back then and how they were treated all women in our mythology how they were treated and what kind of a feminine uh, uh, definition is emerging out of it now in this century so uh, what i was trying to say is yeah um, uh, marathi has um, certainly a, a long history or uh, oral history of verses and uh, abhanga is uh, obviously the bhakti poetry and uh, if you go back to the basic the, the first uh, uh, proofs of marathi uh, literature then you have lila charitra uh, then um, uh, i'm i'm forgetting the other names but lila charitra certainly uh, then you have yeah rudipur lila and smriti sthal 
so these are the three auto bio not auto the biographies so these three uh, ancient uh, uh, works of marathi are actually biographies but the verses uh, the, the first collection of verses by mahadamba and it is called dhavle and these are the songs which were sung uh, for the bridegroom uh, uh, during a wedding ceremony so um, uh, then uh, you have siddhanta sutra part then uh, i mean if you are to uh, looking at uh, uh, the the uh, ancient period and uh, so whatever material is available in writing it certainly in a text uh, prose form but oral history uh, uh, goes back and uh, goes back to uh, whatever time ancient time and uh, i don't know whether there is there is a, that is certainly poetry and uh, but but you have raised an important question i will now look into it and uh, get back to you what kind of uh, 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 history of uh, ov and abhanga is available to us and what is the time period time frame of that yeah that yeah yeah so uh, in yeah the last uh, part of uh, the conversation uh, actually conversation matlab it's just so enlightening and uh, my god please please no, 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 you, have, you have opened <laughs> yeah. up the canvas and because i was listening to this uh, pulia bazi where i started off with and uh, because of uh, hindi films and hindi literature and exposed to begum akhtar and a few of the uh, so so i have some words uh, like matlab bhojpuri hai maithili hai avdi hai and those but ithe vidarbi vidarbachi ahe ani like it's not even uh, registered in my dictionary at all so like thanks thanks to you uh, for like uh, like at least making me sensitive to these and i'll probably do some research somewhere as <laughs> i'll just give you some more words maybe like soft tone marathi hard tone marathi karnataki marathi dhadi konkani agri sangameshwari malwani govan konkani karnataki konkani ahirani so you know this is your take away <laughs> today then uh, yeah baglani gujar leva patidari amalneri varadi madia indori marathi and tanjavuri so these uh, i was referring to this now i uh, got it yeah wow <laughs> yeah okay theek <laughs> hai the last uh, part which i wanted to ask was which was more contemporary and uh, have you seen like because uh, a very close friend of mine uh, she is a translator and uh, i might bring it down to a very trivial level which is not like connected to literature as such but even in even in uh the the phone conversations which we have uh, you get this vodafone message or airtel message ki to vyakti konashi tari bolat ahe rather than ti vyakti right what is happening and again in my antithesis and thesis wala jo uh, struggle hai one side is saying that yes there is something called as praman bhasha and uh, there is an authoritative language and oh. one side because of the social media and and the the uh, just the gates open to everyone uh the other side is saying what is what is praman like how like how can you define it no 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 but but yeah so, uh, so i'm i'm uh, you got my question right i'm stuck I in this got your question. and then on top of that uh, is there any pattern which you have seen is the language quality because you, you you're talking about a particular class of uh, literally people right and then there is like actually Mm-hmm. Malab, uh, so yeah yeah but mm-hmm. I, i let me I, i got your question now first of all i feel there has to be some an element of respect towards your own mother tongue that is number one right now that recklessness and uh, you know carelessness that has crept into these kind of translations a quick thing the google gives you some kind of translation and you just use it now you know marathi has been very flexible it has also accepted words from english and from farsi and urdu and arabic but it has accepted the, those words and made them their own when there was no parallel word or a very difficult word i mean it, it's easy to say uh, signal than saying agamana nirgamana nirdeshaka pattika tridipa pattika i mean there is a word you can create a word in marathi but it cannot be used for practical purposes so you say signal so that is acceptable to a marathi reader now marathi eyes marathi brain accepts that but when we have the word vyakti in marathi and we have a grammar set for that word how to use that word and if it it is feminine ti vyakti and i know that 
so when someone who is confused about his hindi and marathi grammar is using that as a standard message listen you are using it right now but i am also part of designing the course material for uh, learning marathi uh, or teaching marathi to non marathi people what am i going to trying to tell them if i say okay now you listen to these marathi messages or you listen to the marathi advertisements what am i trying to tell them that this is correct marathi this is it is not about praman bhasha it's about yogya ayogya uchit anuchit that is that the word is is this word used in a correct fashion in german we have feminine neutrum and masculine and with each noun we have to mention the article that is to purush or ti purush or te purush you can't have a ti purush and my marks will be cut because there 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 is a structure you cannot take away the spine of the language and when you say to vyakti i as a marathi and hindi speaker understand that somebody who's who's um, you know dealing more with hindi language has just come up with this but then isn't isn't it my collective responsibility to point out and object to it it has got nothing to do with dialect it has got nothing to do with praman bhasha it is the structure of the language that you are destroying by calling it to vyakti or there is the, something like saban galat nahi i mean galne is leaking in marathi what they want to say is jizat nahi but in hindi it is galna you know or or you you see uh, that that word uh, satark satark is is with logic in marathi tark is logic and being logical is he satark vidhan ahe you know what you have to say is sajag savad raha sajag raha that is acceptable but hindi media has overpowered even in the in the, the most of the serials if you see it is like माझी मदत करा त्याचा ऍक्सिडेंट झाला नो इन मराठी से मला मदत करा त्याला ऍक्सिडेंट झाला बट दिस आर दिस आर सिंपल थिंग्स अँड दिस आर गॉट नथिंग टू डू विथ रिस्पेक्ट ऑर डिसरिस्पेक्ट टू प्रमाण भाषा इट इज आय एम सेईंग इट इज द स्पाईन ऑफ द लँग्वेज दिस इज हाऊ अ लँग्वेज इज डिव्हेलप इन गो हेड अँड से इन मराठी वो व्यक्ती आई नाही थी यू विल बी करेक्टेड आया नाही था बोलो because that is how that language is built up you know these these are the elements these are this, this is the flesh of that language you cannot uh, take away that element and say but still it is marathi no so uh, it is pathetic i know and it's deplorable in most of uh, social media but okay then again i say but somebody is expressing something but it is not pardonable to use it in the as a standard pattern of that language no i disagree and i don't have a solution for that right now uh, apart from being uh, critical about it all the time raising our voice and say please speak in marathi and use proper marathi that is th- there is a basic minimum uh, uh, justification uh, for using the words the way we use them and there is a grammar of each language and there is also the semantics of each language and it's not only about marathi it must be uh, uh, about all indian languages this onslaught of uh, inappropriate translations incapable translators and uh, always taking the easy way out <laughs> long time ago i interviewed shrikant nivsarkar uh, he's mm-hmm. a, he's a like a, a furniture designer and mm-hmm. i asked him what is like like how do you define good design and bad design and uh-huh. he said it is not about good and bad it is about being appropriate yeah <laughs> so uh, um i only want to uh, mention one thing now um any translation is the cross cultural transmission as uh, we have seen so what animates this true cross cultural transmission is curiosity so uh, the key to solving problems of translation is asking questions you ask detailed questions pedantic questions argumentative silly serious searching questions but you must ask questions when you ask a question you will not make a mistake like to vyakti as simple as that <laughs> so whether it is a one line translation or whether you are uh, translating homer uh, homer or iliad or whosoever this this approach always helps curiosity and asking questions to whosoever is available you can ask a question to a book you can ask a question to a site you can ask to a living author you can ask the expert you can ask a scholar but please 
try to uh, you know uh, make it a waterproof kind of expression your translation should be that of course there will be loopholes and um, the water will seep in and say uh, there is a little bit of fungus there fine then it's our job to clean that i mean i i am short of words i'll just uh, ask one uh, standard question which would be really helpful is that like who are the translators uh, you admire and like if you can give me like few names and and maybe why also like why these translators yeah certainly well most of the translators that i admire and like to read the translators is because of their their uh, uh, these these qualities what i mentioned just now that they do their proper research and they just don't say that i have to finish this translation they enjoy doing that translation and they want they, they have they have an intention uh to translate a particular work they have a uh, uh, some some message to give which they feel that that a particular book can give so um as uh, uh, i start with marathi and in marathi i i mean there are many many more but i am mentioning only uh, two or three uh, one is ganesh vispute of course and uh, uh, he does wonderful translations because he is a writer himself he is a critic and uh, he is a painter that also adds to his understanding of poetry more and he translates translates it uh, beautifully then i simply admire mugdha karnik i had uh, read her uh, uh, atlas shrugged i mean fantastic you can't imagine it is is too good i i, I cannot uh, analyze it now we will need another session but mugda karnik's translations even on social media she is very active and the kind of uh, words she uses and a correct and crisp register of uh, of words that she creates for uh, this is very appropriate then um, uh, yeah uh, uh, for english translations of course uh, ranjit hoskote is is i call him prabhu <laughs> Shabda Prabhu because he is really good in his translations. He translates from German into English and Lal uh, Laldeed, uh, the the Kashmiri uh, poetess. He has translated um, uh, her poetry as well. He translates a lot and he writes uh, a lot. So that is again, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, both uh, activities uh, get inspired by each other. I feel. Then uh, uh, my uh, my. Uh, uh, I mean, the highest on the highest pedestal, I would put uh, Vishnu Kharaji. uh i have been uh, i had the fortune to work with him since 1996 because i was in delhi and uh, his understanding of literature and his commentary and his i mean he was a poet himself he's a writer uh, the way he used to understand it like with one click amazing amazing and accordingly his translations you know uh, in marathi i forgot one uh, one name um, prafulla shiledar who is also a renowned poet but his translations uh, translations are also fantastic uh, <clears throat> then uh, yeah so we uh, talked about english with uh, chantabai gokhale uh, uh, from the uh, earlier generation great translator but again i'm 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 looking at uh, <clears throat> the scenario and thinking who have translated good plays into marathi and i think we have to fill that void somehow uh, people out there please listen to this and uh, yeah uh, so hindi and um, there are a lot of good translations uh, uh, into german uh, by martin kempshen professor martin kempshen who stays in shantiniketan from bengali into german lot of uh, good even gitanjali i think he has done into <clears throat> german so i admire him though i, I cannot read uh, gitanjali in bangla but uh, what he has rendered and Uh, in german that that's very good and uh, of course i admire uh, friedrich schlegel who has translated abhijnana shakuntalam and uh, bits and pieces of veda uh, into german without visiting india he learned sanskrit in paris and he translated it and in fact that was supposed to be my phd thesis that his understanding of indian culture uh, as an outsider something like that you know so uh, yeah so my uh, admiration for uh, translations in german started with that yeah uh, uh, and i i uh, would like to mention that in marathi we have three, uh, two um, uh, uh, publications one is my maushi and another one is kelyane bhashantar they are dedicated to translated uh, works 
and they they regularly uh, uh, publish i think it is they are quarterly and they publish translations from various uh, indian and international languages into marathi and uh, there are uh, uh, two more uh, called yugavani and kavyagraha they also from time to time uh, but regularly uh, have uh, they publish translations into marathi of, of poetry majorly and uh, there is one diwali uh, issue called uttam anuvad they have uh, they always have a theme and uh, this uh, then they, they they collect translations of material around that particular theme uh, uh, be it letters and uh, poetry and uh, short stories or parts of novel etc so a lot of uh, avenues are there for marathi translation and we can create more if we take this activity seriously absolutely i don't know how to like conclude this i'll just say thank you it was like wonderful talking to you i i would say thank you for uh, you know the giving giving so much importance and significance to the uh, concept of translation that only shows how, how that we are on the uh, firmly on the cultural map now the translators yeah so you are most welcome whenever you want to have any uh, other conversation about any other topic and uh, it it uh, gave me a great pleasure to be part of this maybe i have forgotten some names uh, and uh, you know i don't claim to be uh, the last word in this this field but i just uh, from whatever humble uh, background i have in all they are dabble into so many fields so pardon me for for my inadequacies thank you thank you thank you that's it and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes savan stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com till then bye hello it's been a great week on the ivm podcast network On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions, and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutta is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nati Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcast.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website, or wherever you get your podcasts from.